0: Hey, welcome to Creative Reset, the podcast that explores. Oh, wait, hold on. Hey. Hi, Frank. Hey, we're recording now. Okay. <laughs> So, so um, uh, this week I'm talking with Frank Walters and, and Frank, you're a Chicago based uh, animator and illustrator uh, who within the last few years, you started your own company and, uh, and, you know, I've known you for lots and lots and lots, lots of years. Yeah. Um, I don't but, know if I can we'll
1: say how many. <laughs> I, I it
0: would, it would, I would need a calculator and I'd, I'd you know, <laughs> to figure that out. You know, I still don't, I don't consider, I don't think of you as an animator or an illustrator. So maybe by the end of today, maybe I'll, I'll think of you more in, in those terms. Because I have other, we'll talk about it, but I've got other ideas for the way I think of Frank. Oh, um, okay. <laughs> so, you know, but I do, I've, I've looked at your stuff and I, and I find it to be, you know, like really, really wonderful um Oh, thank uh, you. And and you owe me a finder's fee. I think I get twenty percent, don't I? For your for your most recent uh, job.
1: We'll talk offline. (laughs)
0: Okay.
1: I'll have my people call your people.
0: Yeah. uh, (laughs) (laughs) So how's your how's your um your Chicago pandemic spring part do? Um,
1: it's it feels like it's getting better. It's the weather's definitely getting better, which is nice. Um, it's really nice out today we had a little bit of cold again the other day but now it's back to being kind of warm and oh good so you can start going outside and yeah yeah we're going outside walking the dog and sunshine and and that always helps the mood you know all right so let's jump right in so so tell us what you tell us what you do okay um (laughs) i'm a motion designer officially um you call me an animator and, and that's accurate, but um, primarily what I do for money is what's called motion design. And the next question I always get after I say that is, what's that? And uh, I don't know how to answer it exactly, because it's a big debate in my field, like how to answer that question. The lines are a little bit blurred between. What are, what are some of those animation. lines? So like, animation what do you you think of if I say animation what comes to your mind um
0: you know I guess you know cartoons things like that like Um,
1: Disney Warner Brothers cartoons those kinds of things or yeah but but also like stop like
0: stop motion animation things like that
1: yeah yeah Um, yeah absolutely so so like that's not exactly what motion design is, but motion design kind of encompasses all that. Okay. So uh, this is really something that kind of started, the way I think of it is it kind of started with like film titles. Okay. Like back in like the fifties and 60, like early films, they didn't really do much with, it would just be like a title card just still like, a, maybe it was a cool font or typography or something, but it would just kind of wipe on and sit there and then it would go away. There was no animation to it usually. But right. then like starting in about the 50s, I think, um, people like Saul Bass started to really innovate. In he, did the, he did
0: the Hitchcock. Uh, he did a couple yeah, of Hitchcock movies. Yeah, he did, um, North he by did Northwest, uh,
1: Vertigo. Uh, one of my favorites is North by Northwest, if you remember the titles from that. Movie. Yeah,
0: on the building. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, it ends with the yeah with the the lines coming in on the building, and then it fades to the shot of the building. Yep. Um. So that's kind of the way I think of it, anyway. That's kind of the birth of motion graphics or motion design. Okay. It used to be called more often um, motion graphics. I think because um, that was sort of the term for the department, like in a broadcast studio. Like where I used to work, they just called us the graphics artists because <laughs> um, it was more broadcast oriented, like they were doing like commercials. So, so like the stuff we were doing there was more like just like titles to be put over live video.
0: Okay. Um,
1: so like when you watch an NFL game, like the, that cool, you know, graphic that comes on at the beginning with the 3d and the shiny, like, you know, Heisman trophy or whatever you're seeing on a sports graphic. Or the Super Bowl, you know, shiny letters flying up, you know, that's that's motion graphics or motion design.
2: Okay. Okay. Um,
1: but that's one aspect of it. Like, you know, there's it also includes like all the traditional animation stuff too. Like sometimes people will do like cell animation with characters or things along those lines. Like you're seeing a lot of now um, Silicon Valley companies,
0: yeah, doing it
1: online, especially. Like, they'll have these illustrations that, that move. Um, and a lot of tech startups will, will have a video that explains. It's called an explainer video. Okay. That, like, takes you through the introduction to the product or service or whatever it is they're selling. And, like, you know, like, say, for example, Airbnb, when they started out. Mm-hmm. I'm sure they, I don't remember this specifically, but I'm sure they had a, a, an explainer video that explained the concept of how Airbnb worked because at that time, nobody had thought of it before really. Um, so they, they needed a way to explain it. And so usually companies like that will hire someone like me to make an explainer to, to help introduce their offering, whatever it is.
0: Is, is that what you did for the, uh, with the speech and about the, the, speech in a box or no
1: that that's a little bit different because it's a youtube intro so it's not really explaining anything it's more like it's more like a show open okay more akin to like on television where you try to um, design something that gives the audience a feel for what the show is about Mm -hmm. not in a real literal way you try to do it kind of with visual metaphor somehow
2: right right right. Um, okay
1: usually there's, there's a lot of great examples of like show opens like especially on netflix shows and, and things like that i could go on and on about that
0: <laughs> so so more specifically what what are your interests what do you do
1: um well what I, what my interests are and what i do are kind of two different things <laughs> all right, right well this now. will be good all right so i got into this by um i, I studied animation. So, like, my program at Columbia College Chicago was like, we were studying traditional animation. Like, I learned how to do cell animation. I learned how to draw characters frame by frame on paper, right, on at a desk, and then we would shoot them with a camera, and um, we did shot it on film, the old way. Uh, And then shortly after I got out of that. Program I, it, things completely changed and everything went digital. <laughs> but I also, while I was there, I also took a couple of classes in motion graphics that were offered in the editing department because, like I said, like motion graphics used to be much more. It kind of really came up in in its present form in the broadcast industry. So so it kind of was housed in the editing discipline then. Mm-hmm. And now that's changed it's migrated somewhere else and the whole program's reworked and the whole world has changed basically. So now everybody that I know, like, you know, who does what I do, basically we all work in this, mainly in this program called After Effects made by Adobe. Um, It's kind of like Photoshop with a timeline.
0: Okay. Okay.
1: Like you have layers and you can set keyframes on things and, and it's like the computer does the interpolation for you. So you you like if you if I have a circle over here on the screen and I want to move it over here, I just set a keyframe here and a keyframe here, and the computer calculates how it has to move in between. And then the rest is just finessing the curves and how it moves and all of that kind of stuff. That's where the artistry part of it comes in. But um, it's it's much less time consuming, obviously, than drawing. 24 frames per second on paper or cells but now like in the motion design industry there's a big um trend towards using cell animation in in parts of motion design projects okay So, so what i really want to do is get back into doing cell animation which is what i studied right um and so that's kind of what i've been practicing lately trying to get back into that um so I've been drawing a lot more and, and doing frame by frame. So, now,
0: do you have any of this on your, um, on your website?
1: Yes and no, sort of. Um, I, I've started kind of trying to do like a little bit of a hybrid approach where I'll start something where if I try to like be targeted about it. So like if it's something where I can do it, the shortcut kind of way in after effects, mm-hmm. um, I'll do it that way. And there are setups and, and plugins and scripts and things to do um, character animation with like a rigged character, which is more like a stop motion puppet. Okay. So like you can take um, 2D layers and you, you design the character in such a way that like the arms are articulated and they're on different layers. So like the hand is separate from the forearm, separate from the upper arm, separate from the torso, and you can join it all up and rig it so that then you move the hand and the arm kind of moves with it. Okay. So, so that's kind of more like posing a stop motion puppet. But like for the thing I just did for the YouTube intro that you mentioned, I, I started, I did some of it in frame by frame in Photoshop. And, okay. um, and then I kind of went into After Effects and I cleaned it up with shape layers and um, keyframed the shapes on like the hands because that's a very complex shape the way the hands move and change um but like some of it is puppeted
0: okay and so if people and and, and if people want to see that uh franklinwalters.com
1: yeah and it's uh it's the um well it'll probably change so i don't want to say where it's placed on the page but um it's it's the the picture of the woman in the pink sweater Right. So, for
0: it. And it's called, you know, and if you, if you, uh, if you hover over it, um, it says animated YouTube introduction. Um, mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. so, uh,
0: so that's right up right now it's right up at the top. So if people want to, so people want to look, but you know, it may move around. There's, there's a bunch of things on here.
1: Um, yeah, my plan is to, to keep working in this vein. And, um, I've gone through a process over the last few years of trying to figure out, you know, a w- figuring out what is it that I really, what kind of work do I really want to do? Because what I have been doing is more like infographics, animating charts and graphs and statistics, text on screen, along with photographs, kind of just kind of moving and, and with a pretty background and kind of sort of almost like a PowerPoint approach. Okay. Yeah. moves um, in a lot of ways some of it anyway. Um, Other times it's like a. many companies have asked me to do like a timeline where they wanna do like a timeline of their existence as an organization and they show milestones of their development and what's happened and um, so a lot of it's like internal communications or some is consumer facing but a lot of it's more B2B as opposed to B2C work.
0: All right. You, you all right? So you hinted a couple of times, sort of at the at your journey, and I'm gonna try not to hit the microphone again. But you you hinted a couple of times at your journey, and and that's kind of what I'm interested in here for the most part. We can talk about you know how you became an animator and all that. But I but I want to go back uh, to your education. Is this something that you pursued when you were in high school, for example?
1: Um. Sort of. Yeah. I, um, well, I'm going to show my age now. (laughs) When I was in high school, I was like junior high and high school. I would like mow lawns for money. Like that's how I would earn money. I mowed people's lawns and um, I saved up my money and I bought one of the very first home computers that was available in the (laughs) eighties And it was, um, well, the first one I had was a Vic t- Commodore VIC-20. And then I upgraded to the Commodore 64. So, yeah, it had a whole 64K of memory. So, yeah. For
0: some reason, I think I remember your Commodore 64. <laughs> you do? I think so. Wow. I think you well, carried around for a while.
1: I actually used it in college. Um, I, I bought this program for it that was like one of the first graphic interface kind of programs where it had like a word processor and a spreadsheet. And it was kind of like Microsoft Office for the Commodore 64, very crude. (laughs) But I actually typed up some papers on that in in college. I actually typed out a play script on on that computer. There you go, there you go. I had to print it on dot matrix paper.
0: (laughs) I remember, yeah, I remember that. Yep, yep.
1: (laughs) Yeah, so I'm sorry. So on the Commodore 64, I had this other program that was an animation program. And that's where I really first animated something. So they were these little like, just like, I can't remember if it was 32 pixels across or 64 pixels across, but that was all it was. Like okay. you, could, you could only do like so many pixels. Maybe it even went up to 128. I don't remember, but but I remember I was really proud of myself when I actually like, I also wanted to make a game. So I was doing like Star Trek ships. I was making like the Klingon <laughs> ship and the Enterprise and animating the laser beams coming out of them and things like that. I never got very far on programming a game, but yeah, only okay. as far as a joystick moving it around basically. But.
0: Now, did you get a lot of support? Did you, friends and family support you in your animation efforts?
1: Um, I don't know, My my mom was pretty supportive. But, uh, and, and people thought what I was doing was interesting, I think, but my dad was like, kind of like, what are you wasting your time on that for?
0: <laughs> did this, did that become a thing in your head at all?
1: It kind of did. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All
0: right. How did you, yeah. how did you kind of over, how did you overcome that?
1: Um, I don't know exactly. I just, um, well, when I went to college the first time <laughs> I studied theater so, um, yes, you know what?
0: College, yes. Let's talk about college. So, the first time, one of my first memories of you was wanting to punch you in the face. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember that? Do you remember Not that exactly, story? No.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> you were in Cabaret, I think. And you, one of the things that you did was you came out, you came out into the audience. And you were just an evil, evil bastard.
1: Yeah, I was playing the 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 young Nazi guy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so like you're in our faces in the audience
0: <laughs> being an evil Nazi guy. <laughs> 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 and and, and just, you did a great job because you almost got hit. <laughs> oh wow. Well, I guess, you know. It's, okay. I, it's a huge compliment, I guess. So I'm, I'm, <laughs> I think. okay (laughs) so that's all right so let's talk about let's talk about that you uh you you got your degree in theater
1: yeah so I started as an art major and I had done theater in high school I was really into theater in high school but then like I'd always done art I'd always drawn since I was really little and like I said I had the Commodore 64 in high school I played around with that uh, doing animation and painting, digital painting on it. Um, and I always loved that stuff. And I always thought that's what I was going to do. But then when I went to college, I, um, a f- mutual friend of ours, who I think <laughs> you know who I'm talking about, kind of um, talked me into getting back into the theater um, and doing college shows. And I got sucked in and um, just totally decided, oh, this is what I really want to do. And I I changed my major to theater i got had an art minor, so I graduated with a theater major and an art minor okay but during the art minor, I always still took art classes of course and 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 like one i think I had like one design class mm-hmm. but at that time it was all still like you did your design on paper with pen and ink you know right so it didn't really apply to anything that came later um but like I feel like the theater thing kind of led me back into doing into doing animation. And how, I, so, how so? Well, I after like after college, I, I graduated with my theater degree. I moved to Chicago. I started auditioning for plays and things, and um, got close on a few things. And I I got this job where I was supposed to take a Actors Equity card and i did that but it was like a touring show for for high school kids Mm -hmm. i don't know if you remember me doing this but it was that was my job for a while like i got paid for acting which is why i took it right but it also kind of shut me out of other opportunities because i had my equity my union card actors equity is the the union for theater actors right Um, so i couldn't do any more theater unless it was union contract
0: and there were um, not that many union houses in Chicago.
1: Right, right. So everybody was like, well, now you have to move to New York. And I really, I don't know why, but I just really resisted that idea. I didn't want to move to New York. I didn't feel like I had ever wanted to go there.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, nothing against New York. I love it. <laughs> um, I have visited several times and I love the city, but I, I just, at the time when I was younger, I guess I felt a pretty intimidated about moving to New York. Chicago felt a little safer to me somehow. Well, you had a
0: support group in Chicago too.
1: Yeah, I had my, most of my friends were here, um, so yeah, I guess so. It, it was kind of like just the next step. I, I moved in with my friend, you know, from college, um, and you know that was my first roommate. So you know, yeah, in Chicago. So it was like kind of a safe way to make that leap you know I guess okay and I grew up in a very small town so yeah it was big enough to go to Chicago <laughs> it was a big enough leap um, do you feel had, had
0: had there been a group of core people who decided together to go to New York would you have would you have made that leap
1: I might have actually if people had like kind of talked me into it that I knew and were going to yeah I might have done that yeah
2: okay all right
1: and I don't know if you know this, but I actually got a, a actually got an offer to go to grad school at Penn State. Oh, at the end of my theater degree, uh-huh. we went to the uh, uh, what were those big auditions um,
0: in Kentucky,
1: by any chance? Yeah, yeah.
0: Oh, I don't remember what those maybe. are called. I don't What's
1: know. Anyway, um, SCTC
2: maybe.
0: Might That's might be. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Um. But anyway, out of that, I got an offer to for um, a graduate assistantship to, to study theater as a graduate student at Penn State, and um, I often wonder what would have happened, how my life would have gone if I had taken that. And you'd be on
0: Modern school. Family. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. That was my first. Mistake.
0: I can't remember. I can't remember the the the. Uh the lead's name in that uh because he 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 got his degree at penn state i believe mm. which is why i but it was more of a it was more it's
1: it's more of a musical theater focus yes i don't know i don't know i know i remember them talking about how um in their program at the time at least it was uh now the word escapes me what's the term for when, when like theater programs, when they do like, um, a cohort of students come in and they don't bring in a new class the next year, but they do like the whole two year or three year program. And then those people graduate and then they bring in a new class after three, every three years. I have no idea. I had no idea they did that. Um, they used to, I don't know if they still do, but, um, it was like, Oh, a conservatory. conservatory. Okay. Um, so like you would, you would be with the same cohort of people for like the three, I think it was three years, and you would get your graduate degree and you would all graduate together and you would have this tight-knit kind of group of people. And what the way they sold it was like, you know, this is this is going to be your group. And, and most of our grads end up going to New York. Um, so that could very well be that like the, the focus is more on musical theater
2: yeah, yeah.
1: Serious plays or whatever. But, but you uh, went to,
0: but you went to Chicago. You were at, you were acting, you were acting um, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and directing a little bit as well. Yes.
1: Um, trying to think what I would have, I don't think I directed anything at first. I did a little bit later. Okay. I, a couple, I directed a couple things. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mostly acting. And I also um, kind of kept my art thing going too in theater because I did designs for play posters and stuff that kind of came a little later too but I started that's how I started getting back into design because I uh, or getting into design really for the first time was that I um started to learn most of my day jobs when I was acting and doing theater were like doing like word processing and then um I always got the computer jobs because you know <laughs> if you knew because you're Commodore 64 <laughs> Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, so like I got a job doing word processing, and then that turned into doing presentation design and PowerPoint slides and stuff like that. And then that kind of turned into an interest in learning more about design. And I started to apply that in my theater pursuits too. I designed yeah. play posters and flyers and programs, things like that. Um, so I, I kind of gradually gravitated towards doing design work that way
2: Mm
1: -hmm. um and then that sort of led me to go back to school yeah so you had
0: to so you had to retool at some point yeah uh, later in life i
1: realized i wanted to like kind of apply that creativity to the design stuff more and i kind of soured on constantly auditioning and got tired of pursuing theater especially with this like equity thing happening where i couldn't really get theater jobs so yeah. it was frustrating and and i felt kind of stuck in that regard and i wasn't sure i wanted to do it as a profession um anyway anymore because 99 percent of it is auditioning and <laughs> it's not performing it's it's auditioning um right. so i uh I just realized I don't really like auditioning, so why am I spending so much time doing it? <laughs> <You> <laughs> what what, Richard, Richard Kind, designing. yeah, Richard
0: Kind has a really interesting way of thinking about auditioning because he's, you know, he's the kind of actor who spends way more time auditioning than anything else because he's a he's a character actor and mostly does, you know, guest stuff. Um, mm-hmm. In everything that's ever been done, I think Richard Kine mm-hmm. shows up at some point, right? Mm-hmm. But he—he, he, uh, I was listening to him the other day, and he was saying that he saw it, uh, uh, every little odd, every audition as a as a performance in and of itself. Like yeah, I get heard- to do. Th- I get to do this in front of people, right?
1: Yeah, I've heard people um, frame it that way for themselves. Um, I never really got to that point where I could do that. I (laughs) always felt like I I would always get really nervous and, and anxious and feel like, you know, oh, no, you know, they're gonna think I'm terrible and talentless, and they're gonna laugh me out of the room. And I never got over that sort of what i later learned is a thing called <laughs> imposter syndrome that everybody suffers from but at the time i felt like it's me there's something wrong with me right cuz you got to remember like this is way before like social media and like artists being online and talking to each other and talking about all this stuff yeah so at the time i was going through all that i felt like this imposter syndrome and i then but i didn't know that anybody else felt that way we all did yeah
0: we all still do in in, like in in everything i do i i'm I'm pretty sure i'm an imposter um right now this might not be me
1: (laughs) did you swap faces with somebody
0: yeah but i can't talk about that
1: okay
0: all right let's see what other wounds we can open up
1: uh and Pour salt in. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I should have brought some salt. Um, <laughs> um, oh yeah, I, I think I got off on a tangent there. Um, no, I think that's good. I think I think you know I think that
0: that's something that that we never that we almost never get over, right? And it doesn't matter if we're if we're doing you know theater. Um, although there's there's sort of an, an added rejection of you or, you know your physical. Be yourself yeah. like right there, right you're naked in front of these people, and they're saying either they like you or don't like you right
2: mm-hmm. whereas
0: mm-hmm. with with the art they're saying they don't they like or don't like the art they're not right. they're not really judging you as a
1: as a human being and but but um its feels the same <laughs> it, yeah. it does it feels yeah, yeah. the same so like it, people in the design world in the art world you know. Feel exactly the same way. Like your art is an extension of you, Mm -hmm. and that's what I've kind of been working on, trying to get away from that. Um, And and I've been doing a ton of reading and um, listening to podcasts, reading books, watching YouTube videos on this very kind of and around this topic of like how do how do you overcome that imposter syndrome? How do how do you manage to let yourself do the work that you want to do, and it's been quite a journey. I mean, it's been since 20. Well, I, I should probably step back and do this in order, but um, we talked about how I was at Columbia, I graduated from Columbia, right? I got a film degree in concentration in animation, like doing cell animation. Okay. And the first thing they told us when we were getting ready to graduate was, You'll never find work.
0: way to send you out on a high note
1: because now just as you are graduating with a degree in animation all of the animation production is being shipped overseas so if you want to work move to Korea (laughs) (laughs) I'm exaggerating but basically that was it in a nutshell it was it was like all of the stuff I had just learned was morphing and changing. And so that's how I kind of winnowed myself into the motion design avenue. Because that's the work that was available. I could do some kind of animation for people and get paid for it. Okay. (laughs) So that's that's where I started, that's where I set my sights and started working towards. And it took me a few years, like maybe like three years, I think, from the time I graduated. My first design job was um, I signed up with like temp agencies to do design, you know, be like a design temp. But my first design jobs were all like doing print stuff. Cause that's what I'd been doing more or presentation stuff. Cause that's what I'd been doing more before. Okay. This was all through all this work that I had done was through temp agencies. Okay. And came, that kind of grew out of the acting thing because I needed a day job that was flexible. Right. So that I- go on auditions so that's how I got and fell into the temping thing and at the time it was like a rare skill to be able to design like even powerpoint slides now I mean there's tons of people who do it but at the time it was it was a way to make a decent living in a temp job so that's how I kind of got into it so then I eventually ended up at this um, small studio post-production studio like I said they were doing mostly like broadcast stuff or corporate communications kind of videos so I kind of I stayed there for nine years yeah and, um, in 2017 I left that job and went freelance I decided I wanted to try to reach a little further and, and get more into like more of the creative side of things yeah I was starting to become aware of that there was a larger world of motion design out there that I kind of had not really paid attention to while I was in those nine years of, you know, kind of doing charts and graphs and PowerPoint slides that move and things like that, which is fine work. It was great. I, I, at the time, I was like, this is awesome. I'm getting paid to animate stuff, you know, (laughs) but, but eventually I got tired of that. And I wanted to like, kind of do something a little more creative where I could have more of my own voice in it. Right. And that required a little more imagination and, and creativity. Um, so, so I wanted to reach for something a little more interesting, basically um, in terms of the work. All right. Let's so, talk, let's talk
0: about that, that sort that, you, you know, you, you walk up to the, you're, you're right now, you're at the abyss, right? You're, you're standing in front of the, the, the chasm. Um, how do you, how do you make that leap to, you know, to, you were at a job for nine years, you were getting paid. It was, you know, it was stable and all that sort Mm -hmm. of thing, you know, in some ways, probably comfortable. Yeah. And then you're, you're, you know, you're seeing this thing on the other side that you want to do. How do you, how did you get there? Like, what was that process like?
1: Well, I, 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 started to like, kind of part of the becoming aware that there were other opportunities out there to even do something more creative was, came out of, um, I discovered this online school called School of Motion. And they do, um, it's online learning. They, they do, it's video classes, but they also have a sort of a, I don't know how to describe it exactly, but they have like a TA. There's a teaching assistant who um, is assigned to you. And during the course of the class, it's, it's during a set period of time for like six weeks, eight weeks, whatever. And um, during those weeks, the TA is available and you turn in your homework as you go along through the class. And the TA critiques your work. And you also have a Facebook group where everybody in the class is just in that class is in this private Facebook group. You give each other feedback, you show each other your work. Um, so it's almost like an online version of being in a classroom with a certain group of people and learn all learning the same thing at the same time. So it's a little more focused than like just the, the helter skelter scattershot approach of I'm just going to look up tutorials on YouTube to learn how to do this right, sort of thing. So I took one of those classes um, in 2016. And that's what kind of prompted me to start thinking about going freelance. And, and really kind of got me thinking about how and learning about what kinds of other places were out there where I might be able to work and what kind of a work situation I might be able to have and it just kind of made the possibility of being freelance a real possibility for me because I hadn't really thought along those lines before that so this was like 2016 okay it took me about a year from that point to really come around to make the decision and yeah so let's What were, what were
0: your doubts? Like, what did you, what was, what kept you from just jumping right in?
1: Um, Imposter syndrome, um, feeling like I would be leaving the stability of my old job and not having a steady paycheck. You know, all of those things. I mean, which I'm sure everybody goes through when they make that decision to go from a full-time job to freelancing. Cause now you have to find the jobs, you know, you have to
0: audition. <laughs>
1: kind of. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, to be honest, I'm, you know, I kind of just was coasting into it at the beginning. I, I had my old employer as my first real client that kept hiring me. Mm-hmm. And stuff, And then a couple of other people that were from past jobs, I, I reached out to them and they started feeding me some work. So actually, I did okay the first year 2017. I started in August of 2017. I went freelance. So for those first few months to the end of 2017, I was getting work from my old you know employers and, and right we okay. okay. And that kind of just encouraged me and and
0: was there within that and, and you can expand out on this a little bit, but uh, tell us about like, the the support system that you that you had to, to help you. I mean, I'm assuming, you know, it's harder to do if you're just on, you know, on your own, but.
1: Oh yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, I'm sure it's harder to do if you're on your own. It's harder to do if you have kids, I'm sure. I know this. We don't have kids. Um, but, and, and in, in a way that makes me have more support because I don't have to split my time being a dad, you know, and a lot of people, a lot of my colleagues, I, I see, And here talking about this and it's, it's real challenge for them. Um, And especially that adds to the pressure for them too, because if you're in a full-time job and you have kids at home, you're going to be a lot more hesitant to make the leap to a more uncertain income stream or what seems like a more uncertain income stream.
0: And health insurance. If you're the, if you're the, if you're the, if you're the the person who has the the health insurance too, I can see that. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's a huge thing. A real detriment.
1: I mean, I was really lucky that in that um, my wife has a full-time job. She has great insurance. I was already covered under her insurance anyway, Mm -hmm. even when I had a full-time job, because her plan was a better deal than the one I could get through my work. So I was covered under her insurance already, which is a huge thing. She had a steady income, which is another huge thing, which helped me to make the leap. Mm-hmm. we talked it over for months and months and months <laughs> in you know late 2016 through the summer of 2017 right up to the point where I did it and by the end you know she was encouraging me to make the leap and saying you've got to do this because I did a lot of I also did a lot of research during that time like I I looked into like what kind of work was available and what's what's the market look like and is it really feasible yeah and I finally came around to the idea that it was and it turned out to be the fact that it was. So I did pretty well the first three months and did even better in 2017 calendar year than I had done in my previous full-time job financially, earned more money freelancing. And so I was and I wasn't really doing anything different than I had done in the job that I had had, you know, the same kind of work, same kind of jobs. Right. Um, still the corporate infographics slides kind of stuff, but I was making it on that. That's good. You know, since then, it's just been more of a process of me, well, with the exception of 2020. <laughs> um, but since then, in a in the general arc of things, since then, it's been a more of a process of me um, kind of pushing myself more towards that creative kind of work that I really want to do. Yeah. And, you know, 2020 was a big, big hiccup on that journey, obviously. Yeah. How did that, I mean,
0: you, you work from home doing, doing this, this work, but what was the, what, what was the problem with 2020? What?
1: So like the last thing, um, towards the end of 2018, I think I got approached by a recruiter who was looking for um, someone to uh, work through. It was another one of those temp agency kind of gigs. Mm -hmm. Um, And they were looking for someone to work kind of like um, permanently, but freelance. And there's a word that people use in my field. They call this permalance. (laughs) So it's basically, you're a freelancer, you're not an employee, but you're um, available when they need you, but you have a steady kind of, relationship with them. So it was kind of like that, except that officially I was an employee because I was working on their equipment. I was doing their proprietary work and I needed to be available during certain hours. So I met the definition of a W-2 employee and I was paid through like a salary, but it was just flexible hours kind of, if that makes sense. I
0: mean, it sounds like the almost the best of both worlds.
1: It, yeah, and that's what it sounded like to me, too. Um, and it was... I, uh, I'm not sure whether I can even tell you who the client was because it's all... No, that's... yeah But um, it was steady work. Um, I can tell you it was in the pharmaceutical industry. And it was work doing um, mostly, like, meeting-oriented graphics. Mm-hmm. So, like... I designed several videos that were to be played on um, large screens in like booths at like large medical congresses or meetings all around the world. So, which was really cool and it was um, kind of fun to do and it was, um, but it was still kind of in that corporate kind of world, uh, the bread and butter sort of jobs that I've always done. But it was steady and pretty good paycheck and it was nice to get a paycheck every week yeah, uh, and have that kind of floor of income. And then I was still doing freelance stuff on my own on, you know, over and above that, getting my own clients, doing my own, you know, jobs that I found on my own. So it was great. It was like you said, it was kind of the best of both worlds. And then that went on for 18 months. And then in, when was it? March 13th, that the day they declared the pandemic yeah right
0: around right around there yeah Yeah.
1: uh they called me the guy I was you know working with there called me and and you know we had a chat and he said um we're gonna have to kind of shut you down for now we're gonna keep you on the books but we're going to um not be able to feed you any work for a while because all of these medical conferences these big right all got canceled (laughs) so That was the bulk of what I was doing for them. So that's kind of how I was affected by COVID in that, like that sort of floor of income went away. So um, After that happened in starting in about April, I kind of made the decision that, well, this is, this is kind of bad, but it's also kind of an opportunity because Now it gives me space and time that I would be spending doing their work to um, kind of pursue this more creative kind of stuff that I want to really want to do and and have been wanting to get into. So I kind of went on a program of self-improvement, I guess. Um, That's when I started really like upping the ante and listening to all these podcasts and reading books and trying to figure out how to get out of my own way, really, and, and to do the work that I really want to do. And, I, and most, for the most part, it's been a success. And I'm kind of starting to feel like I'm seeing the fruits of that effort. Um, yeah. I'm starting to produce work that I feel like this is more coming from me And I'm, I'm not ashamed of it. (laughs) And it's it's work that I feel like I can show people and be stand behind. And I'm sort of overcoming the whole imposter syndrome thing to a large degree. Um, It's always still there in the back of your head. But, you know, I'm kind of learning more to tactics to learn how to ignore that little troll that lives in my head. That's,
0: so why don't you, maybe you can help us out then. Uh, what are, what advice would you give someone who, who has those trolls that might be a little bit bigger than, than your current trolls are now?
1: Yeah. Well, I, I, I can, I don't know if you want me to get into naming specific books or, you know. If, yeah. I mean,
0: that's, that's, a, yeah, that's fine. I mean, if okay. you, if, if you found something that was particularly helpful um, I think that, yeah. you know, yeah, it's good.
1: There's, there's a few that have been really, really um, influential on me. And one well, it, a lot of it comes from like psychology, of course, because it's, a, it's, you know, it's a psychological phenomenon. Yeah. Impossible, you know, and there are ways to kind of deal with it or mitigate it, I think. And like some, a lot of the advice that I hear you know, repeated in different forms from different people is just show up and do whatever it is you want to do, show up and do it every day. And that was a real struggle for me to get there. Um, And I still struggle with it sometimes, but um, it's getting better, it's getting easier. Um, As I also am learning more and more and hearing more and more people's stories of feeling exactly the same way as I do, you know? And also just the exploration of like figuring out what is it you really wanna do exactly? You know you have to really define it for yourself to know what is your goal so like if you're an artist who are your influences and read about them and learn about them and i can almost guarantee it doesn't matter what field it's in whether it's if you're a writer songwriter musician uh, visual artist designer whatever you want to be or are but are are stifling yourself from being, you're going to find examples of people who are your heroes, figure out who your heroes are and, and learn about them, research them. You're going to find out that they went through exactly the same thing. Yeah. Um, um,
0: that's one of the things I think I've learned this year as well. Uh, one book that I read uh, recently was um, Embrace Your Weird. Um, I love the title. By uh, Felicia Day. Um, oh
1: and, no, and i have to read that i love her
0: yeah I, I i do too and 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 she to me i, I find her amazing and in, in that like, she mostly got her start doing those little web that web series yeah, yeah. the guild Doctor, right
1: well well she was in dr Horrible's sing-along whatever that was too right that's what I yeah wherever
0: but uh and then she you know she started her own company she's she's done a lot right and to hear presence. what's that
1: huge huge twitter presence
0: yeah she's and- all over social media and yeah. uh discord and twitch and all that sort of thing um you know she's a gamer and all that so she you know has found a way to take all these different passions that she's always had and kind of mm-hmm. and, and and molds them together in way you know in ways to make a living and and, right. and do her stuff but she's but she's just riddled with self-doubt you know what i mean And um, I'm and
1: uh, most of us.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Exactly.
0: (laughs) So, uh, so she so uh, so embrace your weird uh, was the was a book, you know, when she talks about, you know, your enemies and your heroes, right? You know, your enemies can be both external and internal uh, uh, you know enemies and uh, uh, how to kind of, you know, how to kind of deal with that sort of thing. And, yeah, and, and I like what you said about, you know, finding, you know, finding your heroes and 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 looking at their journey because you know it, it's it's going to be the, it's going to be very much the same yeah there're very few people and you know unless you were born you know into the family as an artist of some right. sort right there are those
1: people too and there yeah. are people who like you know just kind of hit it lucky that right out of the gate like i mean wasn't tom cruise famously like he was a waiter for like a minute in new york before he got discovered and became a star so I, I think that was his kind of story, but that's really rare. Yeah, Most people are, you know, what's the phrase they always say, like there were an overnight success after 20 years of work. <laughs> 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 and you know what? and to be honest
0: with you, I think you see the difference in the quality of uh, of work from people who who did have to struggle a little bit. And, and maybe oh, you've had those doubts as opposed mm-hmm. to the people who had everything handed to them.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And you don't necessarily see a trajectory in terms of in terms of what they've, you know, what they've been able to do depth wise. Yeah. Um,
1: yeah, totally. Absolutely. So, yeah, like, so one of the things that like has really resonated with me, like, I'll, I'll try to just think of a few things that have kind of really stuck with me and have helped me. Um well, before I move on, I wanted to show you something if I can if I can put something up in front of the screen. I, I, is it cool for me to show something that's like an image that somebody yes. made that a copyright issue?
0: Should be fine cuz we're if we're going if we talk about it it'll be it'll be fair use.
1: Okay. So if examine like examine it um, from a
0: critical perspective.
1: Yeah, so like when when I was trying to go through the process and and one of the books that I found, um, let me actually go get it.
0: Um, okay. Well, I guess I should fill this time then while you're while you're wandering around the room.
1: <laughs> so like what's this is one of the books that really influenced me a lot and i read it i think last year no it was more than a year ago because i remember reading it on a plane so mm-hmm. it was before covid actually it might have been just before covid that i read this but it's called find your artistic, your artistic voice. voice it's by lisa Congden. she's an illustrator okay and i i love the the cover
0: i do too yeah
1: um, but it's, it's a very visual book. This is obviously for like illustrators, um, and, uh, specifically, but a lot of what she says in here would be applicable to any artist yeah. in any field. But, um, uh, what I took out of reading that book was, um, the whole thing of like finding your hero, who's your influence, figuring it out, um, write it down, look up their work, figuring out who you want to be basically um as an artist and then delving into those people so i found um this guy jim flora amazing illustrator from the 50s this is a very famous album oh, all right yeah mambo for cats and it's also behind I, me i see that yeah it was Harry. yeah carrie got me that my wife got me that for um my birthday this year that's really nice I Knew that uh, he's my inspiration i've i've kind of gone through and she got me this book as well ordered me this book and this book is amazing because again like talking about hold hold
0: it up hold it up again for a second and let it pause there so the high fidelity of art okay
1: art of Jim Flora okay amazing um he did all these album covers of like jazz and classical um albums in the 50s and I think 60s too but he also did the children's books and um did paintings and He's just a really cool, really cool artist. Um, and I really love his style, and I, I want to kind of push myself more in that direction mm-hmm. um, with this very graphic and kind of retro sort of style influence. And this is really illuminating because in this book, it shows this process, so like you can see the process drawings. Oh, the, yeah, uh, that cover, yeah. And you can actually, if you like really look at this, you can see how you can kind of almost read his mind of how he went from this drawing to this one, to this one, and how he refined step by step to get to that final piece. And it's encouraging too, because you see how rough those drawings are at the beginning, like the one all all the way to the right, it's just like a charcoal line just slashed on there. And this goes back to some advice that I've, I've heard many times from many different sources. And that's like, don't be too precious about your artistic work. Don't, don't let yourself think of it as an extension of you. It's a thing you're doing. It's a thing you do. And it should be fun. Otherwise, why are you doing it?
0: That, I agree. I agree 100%. And
1: just don't overthink it sit down if you have an idea for something that you want to do write paint draw dance whatever it is sit down and or stand up or move around whatever it is required and just start doing it just start doing it and don't think about how people are going to think of it don't think about whether it's going to be a commercial success Just think about the idea and what is it you want to communicate and just start. Yeah. And it's not going to be great at first. It's not going to be great at first. This podcast
0: is not great. (laughs) 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 No, I mean, me talking, me talking, you're the second, you're the second person that I've talked to. I'm hoping that I've improved a little bit since that first one and that I keep improving. Right. But it's going to be a process.
1: And I understand that. Right. And that's that that gets to another point, which is don't compare yourself to other people. In in whatever field it is you're doing, this is like where social media is like can be poison. Like in my field, it's Instagram. Visual artists use Instagram to show their work. Mm -hmm. And people get work from people, you know, get noticing get getting noticed on Instagram. And for a while I was like oh no I have to be on Instagram I have to like do this it was like now I have another job that's being imposed on me yeah you like have to do this you know it's not enough that I can just do my job I have to also have another job which is maintaining social media accounts and promoting myself that way and marketing myself that way and I I, I kind of received it that way I, I felt like This is something being put on me, and it's, it's, I don't like it, and I resent it, and I don't want to do it. So basically, I didn't really do it. I haven't really done it. And if you look at my Instagram feed right now, as of what's today, March 13th, 2021, um, uh, it's very inconsistent. Like I will post something, and then maybe months later, I'll post something else. And you're not going to get any. Traction that way, obviously. Um, but a big part of that is because I didn't really have the focus of what I wanted to do with it. Right. So I didn't know what to do. I was just kind of, okay, I'll put this drawing up, or I'll put this animation up, or you know, it was sort of haphazard. But now I have at least a strategy in mind that I'm going to try to do. And you know, if people are watching this later on, you can go find me on Instagram. It's at Frankimator. Um, and you'll see how I did, <laughs> which is a great name by the way. <laughs> What's that, Frank mater What about it? It's a great name. Oh, thank you
0: <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, and I'll in the show notes i'll put uh, I'll put your website I'll put your instagram and uh, so do you do you uh, have you set up a schedule for? for posting do you do you well, think okay every x number of
1: yeah um so so last week i posted on sunday i you know for a while i got into this whole thing of like when's the best time to post and <laughs> you know what's the optimal time to get the most views on instagram what's the best day what's the best time of day and i don't know i don't know you you read all these articles and you get many different answers and and you're supposed to post twice a day. And, uh, you know, I'm like, I, I, it takes me hours to make a piece. I can't post a new thing twice a day. It's just not doable for an artist to do that. Right. Um, a visual artist. Maybe other people can do that. Like, you know, if you're a dancer or a choreographer or something, I guess you could, you know, film yourself and maybe post something twice a day. But for what I do, it's just not feasible. And I, for a long time, I beat myself up about it and contributed to the imposter syndrome. It's like, you're terrible. You're not figuring this out. <laughs> but, you know, finally I realized, no, wait a minute. That's unrealistic. <laughs> you, you, If you can do once a week, maybe just do once a week. So that's going to be my goal now to post once a week. For now, anyway, it'll be Sunday night. Sunday evening, I'm going to post something. And I already have the piece in process that I'm going to use for tomorrow's post. Okay, good. So I'm planning ahead, I'm working on it. I'm going to post it and then the trick after that is to stay engaged. If people comment on your post, comment back and say thank you if they compliment you or if they give you a piece of criticism, think about it, you know, consider it and respond to them and say thanks for the critique, you know. But beyond that, let it go. It's it's something you did, you put it out there, you shared it. Now let it go. If it's popular, if it gets a lot of likes, great. If it doesn't, that's okay. It's just a thing you did. Yeah. It's not you. It's not an extension of your ego. It's just a piece of art that you made. Yeah. Or a piece of
0: I like that. That's something uh, I yeah. think I have to work on as well because I I sort of run on adulation.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, we all do though. We all do though. It's, it's, it's natural to want people to like us, to want people to like what we do. That's natural. And it's okay to feel yeah. that. The problem is if you're comparing your work to other people's work, there's always going to be somebody who's started 10 years before you did or 20 years before you did or 50 years before you did who's has completely mastered that field and for you to compare yourself to them, if you're a beginner is ridiculous. Like when I graduated with my theater degree, it never would have occurred to me to think, Oh my gosh, Robert De Niro is so much of a better actor (laughs) than I am. What am I, I should just quit right now. That would be ridiculous because yeah. Yeah. I was a kid. I was twenty-one, you know, <laughs> and he was Robert De Niro.
0: And so, and still, you were pretty close, I would think. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> you almost got punched, Frank.
1: <laughs> but yeah, Another, it's like, I, I want to
0: circle back to something. I want to circle back to something that you would mentioned earlier uh, okay. about about just do the do the thing, and it, uh, every day do the do the thing, right? Yeah. Um, another, another book that I, that I read, uh, recently was, um, how to write one song by Jeff Tweedy. Oh, who's, you know, from Wilco. Yeah. And one of your neighbors really doesn't live that far. Yeah. yeah. Um, he's got a show. He's got a show on Instagram actually that he does, uh, four nights a week, him and his family sitting around just yapping and then him playing songs on occasion. Oh, wow. Cool. Um, which is really sweet you know he's like you know it it, you know it's free and he's doing this thing and people get to watch but he wrote this book uh mostly during pandemic I think it's I think it's kind of a pandemic book how to write one song and in it he you know he talked about his his schedule right Uh, you know at such and such a time this is what he does and at such and such a time this is what he does right and he just writes it sounds like he writes a lot of songs and most of them never see the light of day Mm -hmm. but that sort of has become his his routine and so i was kind of interested in your you know talking about in terms of you know do that thing every day yeah and your routine
1: yeah so what i've come to the point of now is what i used to do is i would have these great ideas i'd have a million ideas of like okay i want to make this short animated film And it's going to be this, and here's what's going to happen. And it's going to be, and it would get this like whole, it would get to be this whole elaborate story that I wanted to tell. But then I would sit down and I would start like drawing the characters or like designing something about it. Um, And I would be all on fire about the idea, all, all excited about it. I would make several drawings, maybe over a few, course of a few days or a few weeks, I would keep working on making ideas for it but i never like would sit down and do step a that gets me to the point of the end <laughs> and then step b and step c and d etc to go through the whole process of developing the thing for real it was all just like kind of gathering gathering ideas gathering information which is fine that's a that's a good starting point but you have you can't get stuck in that stage you have to have to put something down on paper basically that is like some form of in my case if i want to tell a story visually i have to put something down on paper that's like a series of frames that tells the story visually even if it's three frames at the beginning yeah even if it's going to be a 15 minute film eventually even if i start with the first shot and figure out what that is and write it or draw it and write down what the script is and all that. So like, I would never get to that point because I would come up with these huge elaborate ideas that were so huge that I then became intimidated by the size of the idea, the size of the scope, the amount of work that was going to be required. And I would get the imposter syndrome would come back in and I'd be like, no, I'm never going to do that because I'm just not good enough to do that. I've come up with an idea that's beyond, it's too ambitious for what I can do.
0: Yeah. You're not good enough to jump to the end. Right. There has to be those, there, there has to be those steps along the way. Right.
1: Right. Exactly. Exactly. So um, where I've come to now is the everyday thing is I don't have to make something that is going to be a final product or, or contribute to a larger final product. By working every day, what I mean right now for me anyway is I'll make a sketch. Sit down on the couch, get out my iPad, and start sketching. Sometimes I have an idea going in of what I'm going to sketch. Other times I don't. I'll just start making marks. And it'll suggest something. And I'll just start improvising and and start drawing something. And then it'll turn into, sometimes it turns into a drawing. Sometimes it doesn't. Right. is just the exercise of making marks. Me, that's like the equivalent of the, you know, the cellist who plays in the orchestra playing their scales every day, you know, that's the practice, that's the practice. Like, and that's, this is another thing that's like relatively recent, um, this idea of viewing what you do as a practice. Um, And this comes from um, Seth Godin, I don't know if you know him. He's written a bunch of like books about um, the business of creativity specifically, and also like creativity in business. And and his latest book, which I wanna get and read is, I heard him talking about it on a podcast and it's called The Practice. And he sort of talked in the podcast about um, what he means by it. And part of it is, it's a practice. Your, Your job is to do your art every day. Sit down, start it, do it, whatever it is. It doesn't have to be the greatest thing ever made. It has to be just whatever you want to feel like doing that day, you know, you can do. But it's the process, it's the the practice of showing up every day and doing it that is going to make you able to get better at it. So like you said, you're not trying to jump to the end, you're working through the steps of getting better at what you want to do, right? You're not going to get better by thinking about it. (laughs) You're only going to get better by doing it. So practice, sit down and practice. Yeah. And, and, and,
0: you know, I might add, you know, add to that, you know, practice with, 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 with a purpose. Um, Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's a big part of it too.
0: And that's, you know, I think that's where I, run into trouble with some of the artistic things that I that I like to do is that I just I fiddle around and and that fit, it never becomes anything because it's all I do is fiddle right but um uh, uh which is okay because you know it, you know I, so, yeah. I'm enjoying the fiddling
1: right right and that's that's fine if all you want to do is fiddle around but if you have a if you have a project in mind and you want to you have an end goal in mind then you do have to kind of direct it
0: um, yeah, and, and, and it's a difference between sort of like, um, some people talk about, you know, manifesting things like, you know, putting, uh, in, you know, writing out, you know, I want to, I don't know, win, you know, an Oscar or, you know, you know some sort of big award or something like that, right? as their, as that, that finished thing that they, that they want, that dream, that goal that they, that they have. Right. Mm -hmm. But what is lacking then are those intermediate steps. Well, how do you, how do you do that? Well, I got to take classes and I have to do this and I have to do that. Right. Right.
1: Well, what I would say about that is it's the wrong goal. Okay. That's the big problem with making your goal, winning an Oscar. That's about the accolades. That's about the reception of whatever it is you're doing. Like if you wanted to win an Oscar as an actor, that shouldn't be your goal. Being a great actor should be your goal. And maybe or maybe not, the Oscar will come your way as a result of that, of yep. that practice. That's that's what I'm learning now is that, and I, I used to do this too. Like I used to be so focused on, oh, if I do this really cool, trendy thing, it'll get noticed and people will hire me to do that cool trendy thing. So it was like chasing the market,
0: chasing the accolades.
1: Yeah. But for my case, it was more chasing the market, chasing okay. the, like what you can get paid for get, get paid well for, you know, what kind of work is hot right now? Yeah. What's, what's the trend. That's what I should be learning is whatever the trend is. Right. So uh, now I'm thinking about it a little bit differently after all this reading and stuff. It's like, it's more like, I think the way to think about it that is more productive is, yeah, be aware of the trends and be strategic about what you're putting out. But you have to start from the core of, what do I love? Why, why did I get into this in the first place? <laughs> right. Why? What makes me like drawing things? Go back to the basics of like, what makes me happy? What makes me happy when I produce it? And what I'm starting to find is with the few things that I've posted recently, mm-hmm. is that the pieces that I worked on where I got the most feedback and the most especially positive reactions from people online were not pieces where I did that chasing of the market thing. They were pieces where I just did something I started to work on something and I was like, "Oh, that's cool. I really like that. I'm going to develop that." And it turned into more of a just for me piece of work. If that makes sense.
0: It does. It does. There's, you know, there's the idea of trying to always think about the, you know, your the public or the or, or the audience. People are going to people are going to be attracted to something that's authentic and that authenticity's got to come from from within right? It can't be an external, it can't be an external thing, right? Right,
1: right. And and to me, like, the, the big signal that you're on the right track is that, that when you get into that flow state, like, if you're working on something, and you're in a flow state, and you have that, you know, that sensation of, like, you, you lose a sense of time passing, and you're working away on something, and when you, like, get distracted or come out of it on your own after, you know, and you realize three hours have just passed and I'm, and you're like, Oh, that was three hours of work. I just (laughs) did. And you don't even feel it. That's, that's a signal to me that I know I'm on the right track. I'm doing the right thing for me right now that I'm working on the right thing. And, and those are the times when I've, and I used to be afraid to post those things because they weren't trendy. <laughs> they weren't like, <laughs> I'm like, well, that doesn't look like anything that's popular right now. So I'm not going to post that.
0: But then that becomes that, that be, those became the things that people were attracted to.
1: They responded to. Yeah. Like so, so the last few things that I've done where I've actually gotten over that feeling and been like, I'm just going to post it. And those have gotten the most positive response. So I think that's, and this is what I keep hearing too, this is the advice I keep hearing. Mm-hmm. And it's just be yourself, be authentic, do what you love and your audience will, you'll find them or you won't. <laughs> they'll find, or they'll find you. Or they'll find you. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, I don't know. And I, and and
0: and one of the things one of the things I want to focus on too is, you know, not everybody's going to do this as a profession, right? They're not going yeah. to be an animator as a profession, or they're not going to be an actor as a profession, or anything like that, right? But um, but they're, but there, there's always an audience, even if it's an audience of just one or two people or something like that. Your friends, your family, things like that you know, and I really want to encourage people, you know, once you've created something, if you've got something that that's authentic, that's that you like doing, share that thing. Yeah. Um, and it's not, yeah, you know, you it's not for it. Right. And it's not for the, you know, it's not for the accolades or anything like that. It's a, here's this authentic thing that I did. And I want to share it with you. This is like, you know, my gift to, um, you know, to these well, people,
1: like how many, how many stories are there of entrepreneurs who started like a cookie company (laughs) because they just liked baking cookies and that was their passion. They, they, they were in search of the perfect chocolate chip cookie recipe for themselves and their friends and family. And they found it and they, you know, passed it around at parties and people loved it so much that then they turned it into a business later. Like, but that wasn't their intention at the beginning. Right. They they just loved making cookies, and they got really good at it because they practiced. Yeah. So there's tons of stories like that, not just with cookies, but, you know, many other fields. Those
0: cookies cookies and are an art form.
1: You never know. You never absolutely. Baking and cooking is definitely an art form. Definitely. Yeah. And people think of of art as this really narrow thing, and I don't think it should be. I don't think it really is. It's not a thing for specialists. It's just a human thing. It's a thing humans do and it's what gives us joy and pleasure and-
0: We've all got a story to tell. And yeah. that story can be visual. That story can be, you know, uh, you know written or, you know, it could be a song, you know, poem or something like that, right?
1: It's not even a story. Like, you know, a cookie is not about a story. A cookie is an experience. It's like giving someone a pleasurable experience, eating good food, you know? Yeah is a is a worthy and laudable and you know amazing goal in and of itself if that's your thing just practice try to improve on the recipe you know and I think we should leave off there I think that's it I think we did it (laughs) okay (laughs) I I guess that's what I'm doing I'm just trying to improve on my recipe I like that
0: (laughs) all right well I mean, you know, I just, I I, I don't know how much time has actually passed. I think we've been talking for for over an hour. Um, Um,
1: Oh, yeah, it's almost (laughs) 2.30. So,
0: so, I mean, uh, you know, just, you know, I experienced quite, it was quite joyful talking to you.
1: uh, Same here, Henry
0: and uh hopefully we'll we'll see each other soon and hopefully we'll you know we'll we'll talk yes, more
1: i'm going to give you a, a, a hug that goes on so long it's going to be embarrassing <laughs> a bit, you know, yeah it's like
0: let's make it awkward
1: yeah let's do it <laughs> all right <laughs> <laughs>
0: and uh uh we'll um if you can, uh, if you can send me, you know, all the books that you mentioned and things like that, I can put the the titles yeah. because okay. uh, if the if you found those helpful, other people will find those helpful. Oh yeah, I think and I good. have
1: a couple others too that I can probably throw on the list um, that I didn't maybe mention, but that were definitely influential. All right, good.
2: All right, then I will talk to you soon. Okay. Bye, Frank. Bye.